Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. It's a pleasure to be here this morning and to be a part of this church and once in a while to have the privilege of opening up God's word and um, sharing that together. So let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9 this morning. And uh, such a privilege to be a part of the missions trip uh, and to go with my uh, three teenagers. What an awesome privilege that was and, and with the team. And we just appreciate so much all of the support. Um, one of the things that uh, Steve said while we were down there, he said he stopped in the middle of introducing everything about the mission, and he said, he was talking to the teens uh, specifically, and he said, you need to know something, your church is not normal. And he meant that in a good way, because they've never had a group that was over-supported like we were, and they've never seen anything like what they've seen in the interaction that they saw with David, and the support base that we have here. They, and he works with all kinds of churches. So um, just wanted to pass that along to you that um, they were, everyone was very blessed, not just by the team, but by you here and the support that they received. So uh, we appreciate that very much. So we're going to be in Mark chapter uh, 9. We're going to be looking at verses 30. My, this is a bad idea to use my uh, Kindle because it's starting to play something, so we're going to turn that off. <laughs> okay, so it'll, it'll finish here soon. Um, Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 30 through 50, and hopefully that doesn't do that again. All right, um, so before we get into the text, though, uh, have you ever been really surprised about something? Have you ever thought you were heading towards something, and then all of a sudden, everything changed. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I wanted to surprise my children around Christmas time. It's always hard to pull that off, isn't it? But um, I actually pulled it off. Uh, so we were going to, we were staying up at, um, at their grandparents' place, and I told them we were going to go do something, and as we were getting to ready to go. Uh, we call it, often we call this forced family fun. Anybody do that with, with your kids? Forced family fun. We're doing it. And so there was the typical moans and groans about, and like, oh, and I'm telling them, you guys are going to really like this. Like, oh, sure, dad. Uh, probably going bowling or, you know, whatever, or ice skating, which would be good, right? But the, I told them it was going to be a big surprise. So um, we're traveling, and we had to travel like 45 minutes, and as we're going, you know, they're like, what is it, Dad? And just when their curiosity and interest and enthusiasm had come to a, a peak and they were just enthralled, we pulled up to a house and they got very, very curious because this, this is really, really strange. Like, what are we doing here? And so we open up the door and they hear a little bit of barking in the background. So all of a sudden they're like, no way. And we, we walk up to the door 
and we introduced them to their brand new puppy, a, a white lab puppy named Bagel. And so it was like the best surprise ever. Like I really actually surprised them with something that they love and he's still a favorite for us. But um, so it's a big surprise. But you know, all of us in life have surprises, some good, some bad, right? I mean, does life look for you right now what you thought it would when you were 20 years old? How many of you say, yep, it's pretty much what I had figured. I don't see, well, a couple of hands went up. Well, good for you. Uh, most of us would say, nah, I didn't quite go according to plan, at least our plan, right? Uh, but there are surprises along the way. In our text today, we're going to see that uh, the disciples have a surprise coming. Now, the funny thing is Jesus already told them about the surprise, but it's taken a while for it to set in, Okay. And the the funny thing about surprises is, when it comes to God, when he surprises us, he surprises us with something far better than what we thought we we should get or would get. And so let's take a look in our text, uh, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. It says there, and by the way, I think it's page 845. Somebody confirm that in the Red Bible. Page 845 in the Red Bible. Okay, great. All right. So Mark chapter uh, 9, starting in verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Lord God, thank you for the privilege of opening your word. And we ask that you would speak through your spirit. Lord, help us to see you clearly, to see our Savior, to see our sin. 
and to turn from sin and to continue to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this text, we see that Christ and the disciples are, are on the road. You know, they're, they're always on the road, right? And as they follow along the road, things are about to change, all right? Jesus has had a very public ministry, and he's done all sorts of amazing miracles along the way, feeding thousands with just a, a few uh, fishes and loaves of bread, and things like healing every disease, even raising people from the dead, okay? It's very public. This multitudes flock to him. Things are about to change. Jesus is, is about to enter into a part of his ministry that's more of a private ministry, and he comes away. And as, as he does this, along the way, he's going to teach some, the disciples some lessons. But, you know, we are also finding ourselves along the way. If, if you're a Christian today, you are on the road to heaven, okay? You're on the path. You're on the road to heaven. And as you're on that path, sometimes we don't always appraise that as we should. And think about what's actually happening in our lives, the big picture. So today we're going to talk about being along the road and helping people along the road to heaven. Okay, there's some things in, these texts that, in this text that Jesus lays out for his disciples, and they apply just as well to us, very directly to us. Okay, how are, how are we helping people along the road. We have an opportunity to help people along the road. And the first way that we can help people along the road to heaven, and so by doing this, by the way, to be like our Savior who, who came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, and that's the call for us too. But as we're doing that along the road, the first way that we can do that and so radically follow Christ is by helping them to understand the gospel, to helping people to understand the gospel, both unbelievers and believers, helping them to understand the gospel. So let's look at that in, in verses 30 through 32. It says, they, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Okay, They had been up in Caesarea Philippi. This is where there was the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they're coming back to their home base to Capernaum. Ordinarily, when they came to Capernaum, this was a big deal, and all the crowds came, and Jesus had to actually go out in a boat so that the crowds could hear him. But now they're, they're sort of sneaking back into town quietly. Why are, we do, why are they doing that? Jesus has some things he wants to share with his disciples before his passion, before his death, burial, and resurrection. Before he leaves, he's preparing them for, for this and for the time when he's gone. And he was teaching his disciples. And notice what he said. For he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Jesus is very direct here, and this isn't the first time that he told them this. He told them in chapter 8, um, right after Peter had made that great pronouncement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did he say? What did Jesus follow that with? He tells them that he's going to be killed. He's going to be handed over uh, to the Jews, and he's going to be killed, and he's going to raise again the third day. And at that time, do you remember what Peter said to him at that time? He said, not so, Lord. No. He didn't like that, right? Why didn't he like that? And, and why here do the disciples come to this place where they're confounded by this? They don't understand understand what's going on. He's trying to be very direct with them. Now, if they paid attention to the Old Testament scriptures and studied the scriptures carefully, and, and they saw, for example, Isaiah 53, they would know that the, the Messiah must suffer. 
But they didn't want to think about that, okay? And you know, I think that's pretty typical of the Christian church these days. People don't want to think about the suffering and death of Christ. They don't want to think about the cross. Uh, even, and, and, get, and we do this, okay, we do this a little bit. When you're talking to people in the community at your workplace, um, is it easier just to talk about these pleasant things? Yes, all the, all the wonderful things about Christianity that we can all agree on. Jesus is a wonderful teacher. Jesus loves you. Um, if you love Jesus, we can all just be good friends. Okay, those statements are fine as far as they go, but if that's as far as we ever get, we're really doing people a disservice, right? And, if, and even as Christians, if we're always just focused on those types of things and we don't get down to the nitty-gritty of the cross, we're missing the gospel, okay? And yet we see the disciples here. We saw it with Peter. He didn't want, he, he didn't want to embrace this idea that Jesus was going to the cross. And what did, what did Jesus say to him, do you remember? Get behind me, what? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You see, Satan opposes the cross, Okay, and in this case, um, the satanic influence was influencing Peter. Peter really didn't want the cross for Jesus, and guess what? Peter didn't want the cross for himself. But there's a little bit of us in there, right? We, we don't want the cross for ourselves. We want, you know, roses and butterflies and rainbows as Christians, don't we? And sometimes we get those, and praise God, thank, thank God for that. But, you know, a lot of times the Christian life isn't like that. What did Jesus say after, in, in chapter 8, again, once he said that he was going to the cross, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must what? He must deny himself and take up his what? His cross and follow me. That's the life of a Christian. That's not just the life of the early apostles. That is the life of a Christian. It is one of taking up the cross. Now, we don't know what that looks like exactly, but all of us have to radically deny ourselves and all of us have to take up the cross and that means embracing Jesus on the road to the cross and that means embracing where Jesus is taking us, which often is suffering, suffering that puts on display the sufferings of Jesus. You see, when we suffer as Christians and we persevere, it points to the Savior and his sufferings. And we have an opportunity just like Paul did to point to Christ in our sufferings. And none of us like that, the suffering part, but we can embrace it when we realize that this is the road that God calls all of us to, okay? We shouldn't try to avoid it. And, and so uh, he's going to the cross, and, and see very clearly here, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, okay? The Son of Man. This is uh, Old Testament in, in the book of Daniel, um, uh, Ron Young was talking about this earlier, but Jesus is fulfilling this, this prophecy. He is the Son of Man. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Savior. He is the one who has to take on human flesh and dwell among us. He is the one who has to suffer and die for our sins. And it says here he's going to be delivered over to the hands of men. He's going to be given over. Now, we think of betrayal. We think of Judas, right, who's going to betray Christ and, and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. That's what, that's what happened. But guess what? It wasn't ultimately Judas that was orchestrating this plan, was it? In, in the book of Acts, it tells us that he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. 
This was the plan of the Father all along that he be handed over. And Jesus is, has his face set to Jerusalem. Make no mistake about it, Jesus was not trying to avoid the cross. Jesus was actually orchestrating all of the events in the Gospels, if you pay attention carefully, to bring about his coming to Jerusalem just at the right time in just the right way to offer himself as a sacrifice for us, for sinners. Jesus was orchestrating all of this. You know, if you look at Isaiah uh, 53, why don't we turn over there real quick, um, the book of Isaiah, and I just want to look at just a few verses here. We've got to move a little bit more quickly than we are. So Isaiah 53, we're just going to look at verse 10. Notice the language here. This is abrupt. And you know what? People don't like this. In fact, people call this divine child abuse. That's what they call this when you talk about the gospel. We really get to, down to the gospel that it was God the Father who sent his son and who orchestrated bringing about the death of his son for sinners. People don't like that. And you know what? It is. I mean, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for without being blasphemous? It, it's a horrible thing, Right? That God the Father would send his own son and that he would die a horrible death on the cross. It's horrible. It's, it's awful. And yet, it's wonderful. Look at, look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his, his hand. It was absolutely the plan of the Father, uh, led Jesus led by the Holy Spirit and willingly give, giving himself up. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. So Jesus is orchestrating this, but he's going to die uh, for sin. But look at this. And when he is killed, verse 31, after three days, he will rise. He will rise. That's, you know, when you share the gospel with someone, if you don't talk about the resurrection, you don't have a gospel, okay? If you just say, Jesus died for you, that's not good news. So if he's still in the grave, he can't save anyone. But he's not in the grave, friends. He is risen. He's alive, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he is Lord of all. And that's why Jesus said, go and make disciples. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. He can save. God the Father has vindicated him. He said, this is my son. And the greatest vindication of that is that he raised him from the dead. Jesus is alive. And he's a savior who can save. Not like other saviors that people point to, that when they die, that's, that's it. They can't save anyone. But Jesus can save because he's the risen savior. So we want to present a clear gospel, not just a Jesus who came, who was a better kind of human than the rest of us and kind of showed a way of doing things better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not like, hey, look at Jesus. You can be like Jesus. And if you're like Jesus, God will like you a little bit more. That's not the gospel. But don't we sometimes preach a little bit of a false gospel when we're not clear with the people that we love at work and our families? Because so we don't take time to talk about the ugliness of something they don't want to talk about, which is the cross and why the cross is necessary. Because sin is ugly and sin deserves God's punishment, right? Uh, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for 
us. Our sin is horrible. It deserves eternal punishment from a holy and righteous God. Well, that's a truth that we have to bring to those that we love. And the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus to become sin for us who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel, okay? That a perfect and holy God, God the Son, had to be born and come in human flesh, the virgin birth, and dwell among us and live in perfection. You see, that's God's standard. You want to go to heaven? You know what it takes? Absolute perfection to be with the holy God. And that's what Jesus did. He was absolutely perfect. And then that perfect Son of God took on all of our sin on the cross. When we trust in him, every sin of ours, past, present, future, is laid upon him. He becomes sin for us. He wasn't dying there for any of his own sin. He was dying there for our sin. And then the Bible says that because of that, that now that we can become the righteousness of God in him. Because he died for our sin, because he completed that sacrifice, he said it is finished, right? Because he's risen from the dead, he's able to wipe away all our sin. And not only that, he's able to give us all of his righteousness so that we are perfect in Christ. Is that good news this morning? Come on, we get excited about football. Let's get a little excited this morning. We are righteous in Christ, amen? Is that true or not? You get to go to heaven because of Jesus. I get to go to heaven because of Jesus. We telling anybody about this? Are we excited about this? Should be, right? We need a little kick in the pants, don't we? We got good news to share. So let's, as we're on the road, you're on the road to heaven. Are you helping people on the road to heaven understand the gospel? Are we, am I? Are we helping people on the road to heaven understand the gospel so that they can live radical lives following Jesus, whatever that means, and Yes, it might lead to some very difficult things, but ultimately, where does it lead? Glory, right? It leads to Jesus. We're already considered in Christ, in the heavenlies, you know, in Christ. That's coming. One day, we're, God's going to bring all of this in heaven and earth together, and there's going to be a glorious kingdom. And it's, it's worth it, all right? So... Uh, that's the first way that we help people is helping them understand the gospel. The second way, we're going to have to hurry. The second way that we help people, look at, um, well, let's see here. I don't have my notes, so we're just going to jump in here. All right. And then verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Okay, so they were on the road, and either... Jesus is using omniscience. The Father directs him through the Spirit to use omniscience, and he knows what's going on. Or he uses his incredible human perspective as a human, as a perfect human. But he, he knows something's going on with them, and they had a discussion. Now look, they kept silent. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed about what they were talking about. Why? For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You know, we look at that, and we're like, oh, disciples, come on. How are you talking about who's the greatest? You think about this. These men, they knew they were going to rule with Jesus. They knew that. That's pretty heady stuff, right? They're walking around with the king of the universe, watching him heal, 
They're watching him exercise absolute divine power and speak with authority. And by the way, they get to do it sometimes. That's pretty heady stuff, right? And they knew this kingdom is coming. They're excited. I mean, they, they should be excited, right? But they're, they're, their thoughts are a little bit misplaced. They're thinking about their agenda uh, and, and what their position is. That Later on, they'll say, you know, this... Um, James and John, who's going to be on the right hand, who's going to be on the left hand. You know, in one sense, it's a good thing to want to rule and reign with Jesus, but here it's misplaced because they misunderstand what true greatness is in the kingdom. Okay, I want to be great. I want to be great. In other words, I want people to follow me, and I want to be a lord, okay, over them. So who's going to be the greatest? And, uh, you know, we might look at that and say, well, we're, we're much more advanced than that. We don't. Uh, talk about who is the greatest. But let me ask you this. Do we ever kind of in our heart of hearts kind of rank ourselves against other people? Say, you know what? Watching somebody, even in the church, this person's serving this way, like, well, I could, I think I could probably do that better than they are doing it. I probably should, I should probably be doing that, actually. Does that ever happen? We ever do that a little bit? Okay. What about just in our own personal lives? Do we ever... Do we ever kind of, do anybody deal with any pride at all? Like, we got a little bit of pride, like who's right in a, a certain situation, right? Whether it's at home, whether it's at work. I feel like you're, what I have to say is right. My opinions are more valuable than other people's, right? That's easy to do, isn't it? And then, anybody try to get their own way often, you know? We do that, don't we? We, we want our way. We think our way is better, usually. All right? And anybody sometimes talk more than you listen? Okay, we're, we're prideful just like the disciples. We want, we want to be the greatest. We want to be the greatest. But in the kingdom, you know, Jesus wants you to be great in the kingdom. But we need to be re-educated about what greatness is. Okay, that's what Jesus does here with the disciples. He comes and sits them down. He's sitting down. He's going to give them. When, when he sits down, we're going to have a talk. We're going to have a serious lecture here. And that's what he's going to do. And this is just a private one for him and the disciples. And he sat down and called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In other places, you know, he talks a very similar thing. The greatest one in the kingdom of heaven is the one who serves. That's true greatness in the kingdom. Make yourself the servant of all. Make yourself the doulos, okay? The doulos was the lowest slave in the household. Served everybody. You want to be truly great in the kingdom? That's where you, you try to always interject yourself at the lowest spot and serve the lowest person and serve everybody. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. And you know what? By God's grace, God has given some of us the grace at times at least to do that. And did you... Did you recognize in that time that that was true greatness? I mean, there's something in us that actually can sense that as a Christian. This is great work. This is the work that we're called to. And we've got the old flesh that wants to do it a different way, wants everybody to serve us. But that is greatness in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus illustrates the point for them. Verse 38, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Do you ever think that we're above serving certain people? Okay. 
Jesus is showing the disciples, and he's showing us that we're not above serving anyone, okay? And he illustrates that by bringing a child. Now, in our day, we, we value children. Like, we got Disneyland and Disney World and, you know, all these different things. And we do all sorts of things to make sure our kids are in sports and different things like that. Those are all fine. In this culture, it wasn't like that at all, okay? A child was considered a little bit more, a little bit higher than a slave until they came of age. You know, children not, to be seen and not heard, you know, and you could easily get uh, fall out of grace with your parents. They might just put you outside and let you die exposed to the elements if you made the wrong move back in this culture, seriously. So the kids were way down low. They, they weren't trying to run around and serve the kids all the time. They just weren't, okay? And so when Jesus takes this child, this little child, and comes in, that they, you know, remember what, what the disciples did a different time when they tried to bring children to them? Get these kids out of here. What are you doing? Don't, don't bring these kids around, Jesus. Jesus, what did he say? Let the little children come to me. Such of these are the kingdom of heaven. Well, he brings a child to them again, and, and he brings them in their midst, and what does he say? Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Okay, so the, you know what he's saying? You welcome the lowest. You welcome the ones that nobody else wants around. That's what you do. And you serve them. That's greatness in the kingdom. You serve the lowest. You serve the people that everyone else ignores. And then he says, whoever uh, that receives them receives me. You want to you truly welcome Jesus into your life? You want Jesus to find a home in your home? Serve the lowest. Serve the lowest. You're serving Jesus when you serve the lowest. And then it says, uh, whoever receives, and then it says, receives not me, but him who sent me. We receive the Father. You want to welcome the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into deep fellowship with you in your life. Serve the lowest. Serve the lowest. Now, I'm going to embarrass some people this morning. I want everybody who works with children in the church, I, I want you to stand up right now. If you work with children, Awana, Sunday school, whatever you do, please stand, please stand. Thank God for you. Thank God for you and your service, and you are doing great work. You are doing the greatest work in the church. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. You know, these people, by God's grace, realize something. That is great work. That is great work, serving children. And guess what? I bet if you talk to every single one of them, they'd say, it's awesome. I love working with kids. Not all the time. Sometimes it's probably a pain in the neck. But ultimately, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to serve in that way. Okay? So we're almost out of time. So we're helping people along the road understand the gospel. That's radically following Jesus. We're helping them by serving others, even the lowest. That's radical discipleship. That's radical. That's, that's real discipleship. That's following Jesus. Really quick, we're going to just have to touch on these real quick, but um, then in verse 38, John said to them, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us, but Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What's going on here? We're along the road to heaven. What can we do? We can help others by believing in them. 
Okay? How many of us, when we see somebody doing something, a Christian work, they're not part of our little circle. We look at like, oh, I'm not so sure that's good work. I don't know. It's, it's all right. But it's not like they're not Jacob's well, so, or they're not uh, PCA, or they're not whatever is your, important to you. So a uh, little suspect probably what's going on over there. Might be second class work. Or I'm not even sure they're Christians. I'm not even sure that's a real church. But you know what? What are the qualifications here of something? They're doing it in the name of Jesus, okay? Uh, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. They're doing a legitimate work. They're doing it in the name of Jesus, okay? And what did the disciples have a problem with? Did they have a problem with them casting out demons? Did they have a problem with them doing things in the name of Jesus? No, what was their problem? Look at what it says at the end of verse 38. Because he was not following us. Do people have to be following us to be doing good Christian work? No, they don't. Might they have some different views on some things and still be doing good Christian work? Absolutely. You know, I don't think we appreciate that enough. I know I didn't, you know, uh, growing up, kind of as a separatist Baptist, you know, we separated from people as a hobby. So, you know, this, this takes work to look around and appreciate the greater kingdom work that God is doing. Do we do that? We, we need to do that. And, you know, when we do that, when you see other Christians doing good, good work, why don't you tell them, hey, you're doing a great job. What can I do to help you do the work that you're doing? Can we do more of that? You know, when we were in Costa Rica, we were all a little bit rebuked about what we saw down there and how these missions groups worked together. By the way, our team was wonderful. The way that everybody worked together, that was amazing. Praise God for that. We were down there, all these different missions groups. Guess what? They all worked together. Did they all have the same exact theology? No. But guess what? They worked together. They shared resources. It was amazing. It was awesome. And I was like, wow. We need a little kick in the pants in the United States. So... We're on the road to heaven. Let's, let's help people understand the gospel. Let's serve them. Let's believe in them. Let's believe in other Christians. Let's believe in them. And then finally here, uh, verses 42 through 50. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Or it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What's going on here? So when we're trying to help people on the road to heaven, you know, sometimes we're, not, sometimes we're like the worst enemy of, of somebody who's new to the faith. Okay, how, how so? Okay, well, when we get prideful like the disciples were and start thinking about our own agenda, guess what? Then, then we start feeding the old flesh and we start giving into sin, okay? Uh, there's, again, there's this idea sometimes um, in, in the church, because we know that we're perfect in Christ, there comes uh, sometimes this antinomianism in the church where, hey, you know what? If we 
play, you know, if we're, if we're just kind of casual with our sin, that's no big deal because we're the ones who we're all forgiven and let's not get all straight laced. Let's just be real people. We're just real people in there. You know what, though? When we allow sin to rule in our lives, we're not helping people on the road to heaven. We're not helping people on the road. And sometimes, you know what, I think we need to think about what our sin does, not just to us. Because usually we're pretty self-focused about our sin. Like, yeah, this wrecking my fellowship with God, it's bringing consequences into my life. But guess what? When we sin and we don't deal with besetting sins, it's hurting the kingdom, okay? It's hurting us as we try to help other believers and we're trying to help unbelievers. It hurts the whole thing. And Jesus has some very serious words about this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? You cause a little child or you cause a baby Christian to stumble. How would you do that? By not living out your faith. By being prideful. By letting sin rule. That's how you do that. And you cause one of these little ones to stumble Guess what? Jesus is angry with us when we do that. And if we do that as a habit of life, we're just actually not even living out genuine faith. And one of those millstones for crushing, you know, big heavy stone, throw that around your neck, throw that in the sea, that doesn't go well for you when that happens, right? And then it goes on to say, what, do we, what does Jesus say about um, your hand and, and, and your um, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, okay? So what is he talking about here? Because sometimes people have been confused, like in, the, um, like in the 12th century or whatever, these monks, they literally tried to do some of this stuff. Does it, did it actually help them to become holy? It actually did not. Because Jesus literally, he doesn't literally want you to cut off your hand or your foot. That actually doesn't help anybody. But... Jesus wants us to get very radical about killing sin. That's what Jesus wants us to do, okay? Uh, so much so that if it were possible, if you thought that your hand could keep you from the kingdom or keep others from the kingdom, you should cut it off. You should absolutely cut it off. It can't. But you can radically, we can radically go after our sin and kill sin. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. But you know what? You won't do that, and I won't do that, unless we really think it's leading us to hell and leading others to hell. Okay? Now, here's the thing about it. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We're being saved. But you know what? In the plan of God, we need to live out that salvation. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God wants you to live it out. And if we're not living out our salvation, killing sin and becoming more devoted to Christ, living a life of repentance, we should have no reason to think that our faith is genuine. We really shouldn't. So this is a matter of heaven and hell. Are you killing sin? It is really a matter of heaven and hell. And if, you, if we're not killing sin, then, and we're trying to point people to Jesus, and our life has nothing to do with living a life worthy of him, what are we doing? Right? When people look at us and we say, follow Jesus, but we're not, how does that serve anybody? It doesn't. So are there some besetting sins that we have that we're just kind of playing around with? Okay. If we thought it might be leading us to hell and others to hell, would we, would we deal differently with that? 
I mean, there's some strong words. We don't have time to go into it, but strong words about hell here. We don't talk a lot about hell. Jesus talks about hell. It's a real place. So are we living our lives as if heaven and hell are in the balance of how we live? Are we walking worthy? So we can help others um, along the road here by walking worthy of the gospel, living, living a life that's fitting for what we say that we believe. And the last couple of verses here, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. What's this talking about? I don't have time to develop it. In the book of Leviticus, though, there was an offering, a grain offering, okay? And it needed to be offered with salt. The grain offering was to bring in the first fruits, first fruits of your grain, the first fruits, fruits of the produce. And it was saying, I am devoted to you, Lord. I give you first. I give to you first. As every Christian should want that. We give the best and the first to Jesus. But if you step up with that offering and you're playing around with sin, guess what? It's not a good offering. Okay? It needs salt. And salt is a purifier. Salt is a preservative. We need to offer. When we come and say, I want to radically give my life to Jesus in how I live, great. When we do that, we got to be holy. You know, we need to present ourselves a holy sacrifice. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? Uh, I beg you, therefore, because of the mercies of God, what? To present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is just your reasonable service. That's just what you should do as a Christian. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Jesus wants. He wants radical followers of him that say no to sin and say, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm not going to play around with sin. I'm not going to be like the world. So that's how we help people on the road to heaven. So we, we help them by what? Help them understand the gospel. We help them by serving the lowest. We help them... Uh, by, by also believing in them. And finally, we help them by living a life that's fitting with the gospel. That's how we radically follow Jesus. God, give us to, the grace to do that. And, and let's get out there and let's live this kind of life that leads people along the road to heaven. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we're humbled by this. We're challenged by this. May you be in us and for us what we cannot be and transform us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.